Central, isn't it wonderful that our hope re rests in Jesus Christ? You can be seated. We would first like to welcome you here this morning. If you're a guest with us, we invite you to fill out the card in the pew back in front of you. We just want some information from you um, to be able to connect with you this week and see if you need anything from us here as a church. Um, if you are a member or anyone that you would be able to, you can, good gracious, let's start over again. <laughs> Sorry been a long week at school <laughs> all right if you would have any prayer requests you can fill that out on the back of that card and you can place those cards in any of the offering boxes at all of the exits around the sanctuary um, we invite you to worship with us today and to to place your focus on not on the things of the world or the things that are going on outside of this place but on Christ on the words of these songs as we lift up our praises to him so if you'd bow with me God, thank you so much for the opportunity to worship you today. God, we ask that you allow us to focus our minds and our thoughts and our, bring our praise to you this morning. God, we thank you. We lift your name up. In your name I pray. Amen. 
praise you, Lord. You are the King of kings, God. All the clapping, all the praise, all the singing for you this morning, it is all yours. God, we rejoice in the fact that when you spoke to your servant in the wilderness from the burning bush, God, you said, I am. And you are the only one who can leave it at that. You are the only one who needs no qualification on that statement. Brothers and sisters, you and I in this room today can say, I am a man. I am a teacher. I'm an electrician. I'm a fill in any job that you can think of. I'm a, I'm a student. I'm a child. I'm an adult. Our states change. The world around us changes. The galaxy changes around us. But God said, I am, and left it at that. He is eternal, preeminent, omnipresent, omnipotent. He needs no qualification. And that alone is worthy of praise, but coming from the fact that God is eternal, that he is, and that's it, he is, I am, comes our confidence that we see in Romans 8, 38, 39, says, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels or rulers, nor things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord.
melt and shake before you. The demons run and flee at the mention of your name, King of Majesty. There is no power in
is seeing the gospel, and that's what we just sang right there, Amazing Grace. And it is free and available to all of us. You know, we're going to pray this morning, and um, you know, where you're seated this morning, you may be um, and have been praying for some time for a loved one who's drifted from the Lord. Maybe that's a son or a daughter, a child, maybe it's a grandchild who at one point was following Jesus, or at one point at least they looked like they were following the Lord, they were faithful in a church or what have you, and then, but their lifestyle now has has changed, and they've drifted from God, and they've drifted from the Lord, and that may be where you are this morning. So I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning in front of me, and here's what I want to ask you to do. If you have someone in your life that you've been burdened about, a family member, maybe it's a friend, who once walked with the Lord, or at least they appeared to walk with the Lord, and now they're not, they've drifted. I just want you to raise up your hand so I can see it. There are more hands raised than people, well, more than half of the room is is raising their hands. You can lower them. I want to have a word of prayer for you this morning, and I want to have a word of prayer for those who have drifted from the Lord this morning. I want to remind us what it says in James chapter 5. The last two verses of that book says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let's pray for them this morning by name. And here's the thing. There is power when we pray as individuals, but there is incredible power when the church comes together and prays collectively for those individuals. So, I want us to just bow our heads and close our eyes this morning and let's pray for them. God, we believe in prayer this morning because we believe in you. God, we know and understand that when we come to you, we understand that you are a God who is perfect, holy. As we just sung about a moment ago, you are mighty. You are great. You're a God of amazing grace. You are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. These are not just titles that make us feel good. They are truthful statements of conviction in which we believe in this morning because, God, we believe in you. We believe that, God, you are here with us. You're not far off somewhere in the cosmos. You are here with us in the room. You are in our hearts. You live and you dwell in us by the power of your Holy Spirit. You are present with us collectively here today. We believe in the power of you, God. We believe that, Holy Spirit, you're at work in us, and you're at work around us. You're at work through us. We believe this morning that you are manifesting the presence of Jesus among us because in you, Jesus, there is power. In your presence, there is deliverance. God, we believe in you this morning, and we rest in your presence today. God, we are sinners Uh, Lord, as we come to you, we have messed up in our lives in so many ways. We've thought about things we shouldn't. We've done things that we shouldn't. We've developed attitudes in our hearts, God, that have contradicted what your word has taught us to and how to live and how to think. We've made decisions this week, God, without consulting you, without thinking about how it affects and impacts the lives of others who belong to you. Maybe we've gone and in our prideful hearts, God, we've just made decisions that, Lord, have only been about us, but haven't been what you've wanted. But Lord, where we've sinned this week, we confess that sin to you this morning. We repent of it. We leave it right here, right now. 
We believe in the power of a God who forgives, a power of a God who cleanses, a power of a God who transforms our broken lives and broken minds, and you fill us with truth, and you put us back on the right path. We reject our flesh this morning. We reject the world this morning. We reject the powers of Satan over our lives this morning, and we trust you, and we believe in you, and we pledge our lives to follow you today. God, many of us, most of us in this room, Lord, have embraced the gospel, the good news of Jesus. We've been bought and paid for. Our lives, Lord, are not our own anymore. We believe and have embraced you, Jesus, with our hearts and with our lives. We're trying to live for you. There are others around us, God, who mean so much to us. Family members, friends, people that we know who we saw joy on their faces. We saw them either walk aisles or make decisions publicly. We saw them go through baptism waters. We watched them, Lord, part of a local church, and yet now, Lord, they've drifted. They've drifted from you. They're on the wrong path. God, we ask and pray and we plead with you to, Lord, intervene in their lives. These names in which we're bringing and we're lifting up to you right now as we lift these names up to you collectively. These first names. We're praying, God, that you would bring them back to you. You'd open their hearts. You'd bring conviction into their lives. You would remind them, Lord, of where truth and where you are, God. That they would repent and turn back to you and start following you with their lives, Lord. For those who maybe are not truly believers yet, God, that you would save them, that you would open their hearts, that you, Lord, would, would help them see the truth of what it means to truly surrender their lives to you and believe in you. Believe that you can save them. God, would you do this work in them? Father, we thank you that for the power of prayer, that, Lord, is not just individual lord there is power in a righteous man who prays but there is also incredible power when your people the church comes together and prays on behalf of of one another lord that's where breakthrough truly happens and so god as brothers and sisters in christ this morning we cry out to you and we're asking you to move in these areas because only you can move only you can do this lord and so, God, we pray for breakthrough in the lives of our friends, in the lives of our family members, our children, our grandchildren. God, would you move with power upon their lives, Lord? And we believe you can and you will. Lord, bless this time together that we are in your word. For the next few minutes, God, just open our hearts. Would you, would you give us the ability to hear from you? Would you give us the ability, Lord, to trust you and to follow you and to, Lord, with courage, follow you with our hearts? So, Lord, would you do this work in us today? Before we close today, would you just pray for me, that God would just move upon me and uh, touch me and that I would be a good steward of his word this morning to us as a congregation. Lord, we thank you for the time that we've had together to pray. We believe in prayer. We ask God for your blessing on this time now as we open your word and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. We're looking at a series, of course, of the next several weeks called Church Talks. We're having some conversations of what the Bible says about us as a church. We're talking about who we are. We're talking about where we're going. We're talking about some important topics, important things that, that matter to God, of course, and then they, of course, they matter to us collectively. 
And so this morning, we're going to look this uh, today at family blessings. What are the blessings of being a part of a church family? We're going to look at that this morning, and we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10 there in your Bibles. Um, I think there is incredible privilege of being a part of a family, isn't it? Some of you are a part of great families. Some of you are part of generational families, uh, multiple people, and maybe your family lives nearby. Mine does not. Neither do my in-laws, and my family does not. They live halfway across the country, so you're my family, right? Outside of my extended family. But no, there is incredible privilege of, of being a part of a family. There's an identity, right? You have an identity when you're a part of a family. Uh, you have incredible privileges when you're a part of that particular family. Um, you have a name. I tell our sons and have told our sons all these years, you know, your name matters. Not your first name. I'm talking about your last name because it impacts our entire family, right? And so that name carries something with it. It carries value. It means something. It communicates something. It can communicate something, either negatively or positively, right? But that's the nature of being a part of a family, um, there is incredible value as, as part of that, but there's also access. And I think about my own individual family. All these years, my kids have always had access to me. They know that. They can always come to me for anything. Uh, at any time, if there is a situation in their lives, they can come to me. There is access as part of a family. And when the family is doing it right, there is incredible access, but there is also privy to information that others don't hear and see. There are family conversations we have in our home that you never hear about, nor will you ever hear about. And your family conversations I will never hear about, and the people around you never hear about. There is privilege and there is value about being a part of a family. There is a, within the family structure, a sense of encouragement that is there. I, mean, I can remember growing up as an only child. That's right, I was the only child in my household. And, you know, I could do no wrong at times with my mama. That's right. And there were times when I would fall on my face and really mess up, either on the sports field or in classroom or what have you, and she was hard on me at times, but there were times, and most of the time she would come to me and I could do no wrong in the eyes of my mother in that sense. There is encouragement even when our parents understand that we've really, really messed up, right? That's the nature of family. There is accountability, but there is also care. There is accountability when they need to step into our lives, and as children, when I have to step into the lives, or my wife and I have to step into the lives of our sons, right? There is accountability, but there is also love, and there is care associated with that. Here's the thing. Tonight, this afternoon, we're going to vote on a few new family members to our church family at our next members meeting. We got some great people, and they're going to be voted into our congregation, to our family. And the thing about church membership, the thing about joining a church, there's, it's not specifically spelled out in the New Testament, in the Bible. But here's the thing about church membership, if you've ever wondered about it. It's expected by Jesus Christ. He just expects it. You see, here's the thing. We are the identifiable body of Christ in a lost community. Right? That's what the church is. We are the display case of Jesus Christ to the world around us. So, so Jesus Christ expects it, but here's the thing about the New Testament. The New Testament just assumes it. I mean, you read the New Testament, and what you're reading are letters written from, say, the Apostle Paul to a congregation who have covenanted themselves in church membership. They are parts of local families, the family of God in those particular cities, in those particular regions. That's the nature of what it means to be a part of a church family. 
What is a local church? It's a believing, it's a body of believers. It's a group of believers who have been baptized but now have a common mission and they have a common purpose, right? It's a physical, identifiable, visible community of faith right there in a particular community. That's what a local church is. This morning, we're going to talk about what that means and the benefits of being a part of a family. And what's clear in the New Testament is this. We're not meant to and we're not called to float around as Christians from church to church. We're not meant to drift in and out of churches and just hear a good sermon or a bad sermon and go home and say, that was a good sermon, that was a bad sermon, or this was this or this was that. We were never meant to drift and float. We were meant to find a local church, pray about how God wants me to, whether God wants me to join that local church and then plant my life in that local church. And when I join that local church or that community of faith, what God does in my life is he brings about care and he brings accountability in my life. And then he gives me the responsibility of providing care and providing accountability in the lives of others. That's what a local church is. And that's what we're called to do. And that's what we're called to be. And so today, we're going to dig a little deeper into what the blessings of what it means to be a part of a biblical community or the church or the local church. Look with me in your Bibles. You need to look at it because I'm going to walk through these verses kind of verse by verse this morning. Look at chapter 10, beginning in verse 19. Say you're there if you're there. All right, good. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy of places or holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of our faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from the evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another in love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know, to join a church, to be a part of a church, to be in, uh, in a member of a local church is a tremendous uh, spiritual blessing to the follower of Jesus. What the writer of Hebrews does for us this morning is he shows us this. He shows us that he, he reminds us of what all that God has done and all that God is doing and all that God expects out of our lives as followers of Jesus Christ when we join or we become part of a, a local church. Now, I want you to notice something with me in the text. In chapter 10, verse 19 and 20, there are two big things that have happened that lead into verse 20, uh, 21, right? There are two big things that happened before he says, and we move into the blessings of the family. Check it out in verse 19. Look at it again. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy of holies by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, all that's intro. You see, all of that is before we get the blessings. All of that is before we get to do the things that God has blessed us with. When we walk into this room, when we come together and we interact with each other on a Sunday or we interact with, with each other during the week, there are two big rocks, two big movements that have affected our worship. You and I don't raise our hands and you and I don't sing the great hymns of the faith with joy. And we don't sing the spiritual songs with joy in our hearts and with our hands raised without these two things happening. And I want you to check it out with me. Look at it with me again. First of all, there is a confidence to approach God. There is a confidence to approach God. 
What's happened in verse 19, this confidence has taken place. There's four times in the book of Hebrews that this word confidence is used. This is one of the four. And what is he saying here? The, the, fact that the, ma- the fact of the matter is there's this imagery that the writer is using here, and the imagery is of this Jewish system of a temple that is existing, right? This is the imagery that he's painting a picture for, but here is what's happened. Jesus Christ himself and his blood that was shed on the cross gives us access to boldly come and with confidence come to God himself. The tor- the, you know, the, 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 the curtain is ripped in two and he's given us the confidence in, to be able to approach God in that way. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. We have a high priest who sits with authority over all things, over the church. That's what he says there. There is this high priest that exists here. You see, before, there was a high priest that entered the Holy of Holies. Remember, this imagery of the temple is what the writer of Hebrews is painting here. And, and, and there was a high priest was the only one who could enter into the Holy of Holies, the presence of God. You know why? Because God is holy. He's perfect in every way. You and I don't get the right and have the right to walk into the presence of God. Just say, hey, God, I'm here. You and I don't have that privilege back then. High priests could walk in there because God ordained that. God said, that's that's what I want. And so the high priest would walk in once a year for the rest of the people behind him. But here is the thing. Through Jesus Christ and his bloodshed on the cross, the curtain is torn. There is no high priest human being any longer. Jesus Christ now is our high priest, and he is the one who is our advocate who gives us the access, direct access to him. How about that? That's what God does. That's what God has done. And so in the, and because of that, he's given us access. He is the one who is representing us. Even now, as I preach on this stage, as a flawed human being, he is perfect in every way, representing me before the Father. He's representing every one of you in this room who's a follower of Jesus Christ before the Father right now. You know what else he's doing? He's praying for you. He's praying for you to tune in He's praying for you to not only internalize the word of God, but to live it out in your lives. He's praying for your family. He's praying for your marriage. He's praying for all of those struggles you're going through mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. He's praying for you. He is for you. That's what Jesus is, and that's what Jesus has done. Oh, that's all before the family blessings. You see, in verse 19 and 20, this is what Jesus Christ has done, and it has affected our worship. That's why we raise our hands, and it's okay to do that. That's why we sing the great hymns of the faith. That's why we sing the great spiritual songs that we're learning and we're growing in. That's why we worship the Lord, not just in music, but in our prayer lives and with our money and with our time. And this is, this is how we worship God on a regular basis and on a daily basis. Why? Everything has been affected because of the work of Jesus Christ, verse 19 and 20. Now, all that is to get us to the blessings of what it means to be a part of the family, which is why in verse 21, this is what he says. And since we have a great high priest over the, over the house of God, look at verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Now check this out. Here's the first one. God says you can draw near to him in faith. Because of the work of Jesus in verse 19 and 20, you have the privilege, you have the blessing of being able to draw to the Lord directly by faith. But watch what it says there in verse 22 again. With a what? With a true heart. With a true heart. In other words, 
You demonstrate trust and you demonstrate devotion when you come to the Lord with a clear and confessed conscience is literally what that means. You approach as, as forgiven people. You approach God as a person who has been forgiven. You approach God as a person who has been saved in every way. That's how you approach God. A few years ago, I was counseling a man, and I'll never forget this. I was counseling this man who was a part of our church, and I was on staff at that church at the time, and this man, this gentleman, he was very key individual man in our church he came to see me and he just needed some counseling he needed to talk through some stuff and so you know men we have to talk through some stuff sometimes don't we this man came and sat down in my office and we started talking and he began to just tell me and just kind of just just kind of lay it out all the things that he had done in his past and all the things that he had done in uh, in his early years in his adolescence in his early 20s and all of these these things that he had done at the end of it, he was a follower of Jesus Christ. I mean, he was one of our leaders in the church. And I mean, he was talked, talked openly about forgiveness and about the gospel of Jesus and how it had changed his life and how he had radically been saved and all of these things. But he comes in my office and he's completely broken. He's saying, Sonny, I can't, I can't get these things out of my mind. I cannot, I know what God says. God says he's forgiven me. God says he's redeemed me of these things. And I tell others about these things openly. But I just can't forgive myself. I can't. I still walk around with this guilt in my heart. I still walk around with this guilt in my life. And I looked at him, and I, and I said very kindly and lovingly to him, I said, who gave you the power? Who gave you more power to forgive your sins than God? Who's given you more power to claim forgiveness over your life than the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you? You see, here's where the man was. And I had to remind him of this. I mean, where the man was is he had forgotten about this. He was doubting the power of God that had already been unleashed upon his life through the forgiveness of sin. Listen, folks, when we come to the Lord and we have these things in our life, we all have baggage. Raise your hand if you don't have baggage. You got baggage in your life? Yeah, we got baggage in our lives. We do. But you know, we come into this room and we don't carry all kinds of baggage in here. We'd need big time trailers to get all that stuff in here this morning, right? We, we, we come together and we are reminded of the power of what God has done for us and in us. And we come together with this assurance. We put away the guilt. We put away the sinful behavior. We put away the living uh, away from God in, 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 in the direction of, of not direction of God. And when we believe in the power of what God has already done. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. I love this verse, right? Pop it up there. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all what? There you go. It's unrighteousness. We have to claim that. We believe that that's not something that i hope i believe in i'm growing and you confess your sin you repent of your sin it's not that it's confessing you confess your sin you leave it before god and you go away from it you run away from the wording in you and you claim this forgiveness 
that God has already done, this work that Jesus did thousands of years ago that is now overseeing your life, is now unleashed upon your life, this power that exists in you. And one of the blessings of being a part of a church family is we, are, we can draw near to God by faith collectively. We come into this room and we are reminded not of our past failures, we are reminded of the grace, the power, the faith that we can carry and everyone around us is cheering us on. Keep on going. God has moved in your life. He's moving in your life. I see the power of God's word unleashed upon your life and continuing to move in your life. So there's a family blessing. You can draw near to God by faith. But he's not done, is he? He says, oh no. Not only can you draw near to God by faith, but check this out in verse 23. You can hold fast to him with hope. And look at verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. This is what we do, y'all. Church, this is what we do. We, we embrace what God says and we hold on to it. We embrace what the word of God has poured into our height, what, in our life, what he's tr- promised us, what he's taught us, what he's moved and how he's moved in our life. What we, we embrace it. We hold on to it. We grab hold of it and we don't let it go. The culture's changing around us. People are changing around us. But we hold on to what we know to be true and never changes. Trials will come into your life. They will come. Temptations will come. To this afternoon, this week, temptations will come at you at 3, 4 in the morning when you wake up thinking about things you shouldn't be thinking about. Or you, you are tempted to do things or say things or to keep going back to the old lifestyle. You and I are going to have temptations. You and I are going to have trials. All of those things. But here's what you and I need to embrace. You need to claim the gospel power that's already been put upon your life. Yeah, there's trials. Oh, there's trials. Believe me, I know. There's temptations, believe me, I know. Unleashed upon our lives because Satan hates you. But the fact of the matter is, claim the gospel power that he has already claimed upon your life, already unleashed upon your life. How do we do that? Well, the verse tells us how we do it. Without what? Wavering. Verse 23 we, we embrace what God says and we hold on to it, but we, we do that without wavering. Here's the thing. You cannot believe something and doubt it at the same time. You, you can't believe something and be all in on something and then doubt it at the same time. There's no plan B. You have to go into it with no plan B. And that's what the verse is saying. That you and I have the privilege, we have the blessing that you can hold fast to him with this hope, right? A hope in what? Look at the verse. There's this motive behind it. Because he who promised you is what? Faithful. You're not, you're not embracing some kind of false hope. You, you and I are not embracing some sort of self-help stuff here. We are embracing the hope of Jesus Christ, something that he has already said and claimed and done on the cross and from the grave. His word is truth. You embrace it. You adopt it. It's convictional in your life now. 
And that's what God does. When we come together in every way and being a member of a church, being a part of a local church, this is what God does. He reinforces this truth upon our lives. So listen, my emotions are going to fail me. My feelings are going to betray me. All of these things are going to be, are going to be alive and working in my life. I'm going to be up one day, down another. My emotions are going to fail me. Sometimes friends and family members are going to fail me. My job, my career, all the things that I'm investing in, sometimes is going to fail me, but the Lord never fails me. Everything, in every way. When I come together with other brothers and sisters in Christ, I am reminded of that every day. Years ago, there were two ladies in a church I served at. One's name was Mrs. Day. The other's name uh, was, was Mrs. Martin. Mrs. Day and her incredible husband moved from Raleigh, North Carolina to the community that I was serving in. They were there to be near their kids who were all in the Houston area. And they joined our church. They became part of our church. as a senior adult couple in our church. And they, they moved there all the way from North Carolina to be near their kids and their grandkids. And when they got there, it wasn't about eight months before he all of a sudden found out he had stage four cancer and dies so quickly. And there was Mrs. Day in our church, now a widow. She had moved halfway across the country. She had no idea this was about to happen. Here's the other story. The other story is Mrs. Martin, a faithful school teacher for so many years. Had served as a school teacher something like 30 or 40 years. I don't even know, I don't remember. But her husband was a construction worker, owned his own construction company. They had built their dream house. And one day, he has a massive heart attack and dies. And now she's alone, having just moved into the dream home that he had built one month before. Now she finds herself a widow in our church. Let me tell you something about those two ladies, because I remember them vividly, and I remember their stories vividly. What began to happen was people in the church of God came around them, the church of God began to embrace them. They loved them. They encouraged them. They kept turning and telling them and showing them the pathway to walk towards Jesus and encourage those ladies to walk towards Jesus. And both those ladies, even years down the road, are still in that church, serving faithfully in that church, giving their life away with incredible joy in their hearts. Why? Because of the community of faith that they had planted their lives in. Did they know that their husbands were going to pass away? No, but that he, God had already provided for them long before those husbands had passed away. That community of faith, that family that embraced them, that came around them, that poured their time and their effort into loving them and continuing to point them towards following Jesus Christ. Listen, that's what God does in our lives. He does this work in us. That's the beauty of the church. Oh, we could be a loss of a job in your life, it could be the struggle of some sort of struggle of sin in your life, some sort of addiction that still has the tentacles on your heart, the tentacles on your life. You need the local church in your life. It could be you as a student just now entering into school. In the last week or two, you had this spiritual high over the summer and you went to camp and everything was great and you were around Christian kids and all of a sudden you go back to school and you're now in the minority. And now the teachers may not be Christians and the students around you aren't Christians and they're looking at stuff that they shouldn't look at and they're saying stuff that they shouldn't say and they're being really mean to you. 
And this is why you need the local church in your life. You come together out of the world. We come together collectively, students, senior adults, widows, young couples, older couples, couples with kids, couples without kids, single adults. We come together collectively and we remind ourselves of what God has done. We hold fast to this hope that we are all united in and we keep moving forward. You can hold on. You can hold fast to this incredible hope that God gives to us. But he's not done, is he? Because look at the text again and look at the verses again with me. You can draw near to God by faith. You can hold fast to God with hope. But finally, there is this third blessing of being a part of a family. You can provoke one another to love. You can consider how to provoke or stir up each other to love. Look at the verse in 24. And to let us, and let us stir, consider how to stir up one another to love and what good works, loving good works. This is a public, this is a, this is a plural type of command that God gives us, this kind of blessing that God gives us for, as part of a church family. The command is to consider, it's to pay close attention to, right? It's to think about, it's to continually be consumed with something. And what are we to think about? how to stir up, how to provoke, how to think about how to love others more, how to think about how to love somebody across the aisle from you or someone up in the balcony who's, who's you can't see and you never really interact with very much on a Sunday morning, or maybe they are below you on a Sunday morning and you don't really interact with them. You are to think about how you can and get creative, get really creative about how to stir up love towards one another. Now think about that word, provoke means sharpen, means stimulate or incite. can be used in a negative way, can be used in a positive way. Here's how it can be used in a negative way. A few years ago, those Texas A&M Aggies built their new football stadium, and they expanded it. You know what they started doing? They started sticking it to the Texas Longhorns. You know why? Because their stadium became the largest stadium in the state of Texas. You know how many seats it held that was higher than that Texas Longhorn Stadium? It was over 2,300 seats. And they like to stick it to those Longhorns. Or it's like an LSU fan going after an Alabama fan. Or an Alabama fan going after an LSU fan. Or it's like a Baylor fan going after those TCU Horn Frogs. You know, it's 118 meetings between those two schools in college football. Longest rivalry in Texas. TCU still beats those, those Baylor Bears in wins versus losses. But it's like when you provoke that TCU Horn Frog, if you're a Baylor alum or a Baylor fan, and you provoke that person, right? You can do that in a negative way, but when it comes to a positive way, what God says to you and I in the church is we're to stir one another up. We're to provoke. We're to be active. We're to think about. We're not to just come and hear a sermon and go home. We're not just to come and go to my Bible study class and go home. Hey, listen, I'm supposed to stir up. I'm supposed to provoke. I'm supposed to do all of this. Why? Because of verse 19 and 20. Jesus did the work. He laid the foundation. He rips the, the curtain in two. He gives you and I boldness to go before him. In order that here in the family of God, we have the blessings to be able to do this, yes, inter individually, but corporately as well. We stir one another up in love and good works. This is what we're called to do. I think, I think about Paul and the Apostle Paul. He is thinking about this when he writes to the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, this 
situation had arisen. There were those who came out of a pagan lifestyle, and when they came out of a pagan lifestyle, they were used to offering food to idols. If you go to the city of Corinth today, you will see the market that sits around the temple that was the pagan temple right in the center of the city, ancient city of Corinth. And it was there that food was bought and it was offered to idols. And there was this controversy that, that existed within the church of Corinth. Are we as Christians to eat the food that is offered to idols? Or are we not to eat it at all? And there were some and those who said, well, no, because they were newer believers and they didn't fully understand and they didn't know and understand it. And they said, no, it's a sin to do that. But what does Paul say to the church, to mature believers? Not to think about themselves. Is the food okay to eat? Of course it is, just food. But maybe I should refrain from eating the food in order to love my brothers and sisters in Christ that they would not go down the pathway of sin. This is how he says it. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love, what? Builds up. Okay, he's getting to his point. Look at the next verse. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Look at this. Therefore, as to the eating of the food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods, little g, in heaven and on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, he says, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and whom all exist, or we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom we all think, or are all things, and through him we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. So this is what he says. He goes on and says, you should refrain from it for the sake of your brother and sister in Christ. Listen, we are to provoke, we are to think about, we are to think about others in how we live our lives. There is something deeper than hearing great songs of the faith or great spiritual songs that we sing when we come together. There is something more than just coming to church and going to your Bible study class. There is something more than just parking in the parking lot and coming and sitting in an air-conditioned room. We are to find ways to provoke, to stir up one another in a positive way and provoke one another to love and good works in the way that we live our lives and love each other. And so, notice the movement. Notice the movement of what, 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 the, what the writer here of Hebrews is talking about. Because of the blood of Jesus in 19 and 20, I now draw near. I now hold fast. I now consider how to provoke, and none of those benefits take place just individually. They take place corporately among a biblical community or a church, and that's why we see the warning in verse 25. Look at what he says in verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day, the day that Jesus Christ returns again, drawing near. You see, the same problem then is the same problem we have across our country, across the world. There are times when we, get, we start to drift away from not just church attendance, but being involved and in, engaged in the local church in my life. They had been and had the problem of starting to abandon the church for the sake of living life. There were things that were taking place of local church attendance. 
There were things that was happens, what was happening there is the same things that begin to happen now. There are things in our life, whether it's sports or work or vacation or leisure or what have you, that begin to elevate to the same level of his importance as being together with my church family. And what was happening there is the same thing that sometimes happens now. The church moves from being the center of your life to being just one of the many things that you do in your life. But that's not how it was meant to be. We are the body of Christ. And to love Jesus is to love his church. To love Jesus is to be a part of a local church family. Why? Because you need that care. You need that accountability. Others need care from you and that accountability from you. And this is how God has designed and moved upon our life. They had stopped worshiping in 25. And so it is a, it is a warning. Don't neglect to meet together. Why? Because you can't do these things. These things, just independently, you can't do them together. You, can, you, you, you and I cannot consider how to provoke one another to love if we're just going out and doing our own thing and we're just popping in for a sermon once in a while. It can't happen. You see, and by the way, we're on dangerous ground when we do that. And when we begin to not embrace the local church in our life and we don't center ourselves around the local church, well, the writer of Hebrews has already mentioned this. Hebrews chapter 3, this is what he says. Look at this. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. This is what he's going to go on to say. He says, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I mean, this is a real threat upon our lives. This is a real deal upon our lives. If we immerse ourselves in the culture, if we immerse ourselves in the world, if we immerse ourselves in what I want, then I can guarantee you, you will not begin to think about your church family any longer, or you'll think, think about them very little. And I will elevate myself above the body. God says that that ought not be the case, but ought to be connected to the household of faith, the local church. And so listen, there are several things that I think are important for us to remember when it comes to being a part of a local church. It's important to us to understand that what God has provided in his church is so incredible because it is a constant encouragement and reminder of the faith. You know, as followers of Jesus, when we come together, it is a constant reminder of all that Jesus has done. And it is encouragement in my faith to keep moving forward. But not only that, but when we understand the local church in our life, it provides a spiritual protection, this umbrella of spiritual protection over your life. That's the local church in your life. We talk about this in our membership class, that when you come to Central and we talk about what the local church is there for, it is not just some sort of a community group that you join and you pop in and hear a sermon and you leave. This is God's plan of spiritual protection over your life and my life. To not only care for me, but also to hold me accountable in how I live so that if I drift, if you drift away from the faith, if you start to go down the wrong road, then lovingly, just as a parent would their child, start to drift them and bring them back and rescue them out of the, the destructive lifestyle they may be going down. And if you're not part of a local church, if you're not active, if you're not engaged, then that is going to happen without people even knowing it, which is why we are called to understand this blessing that God puts upon our lives, the spiritual protection that the church has upon my life. But, 
But there's also this other blessing when I think about it provides us assurance of salvation. When you and I are engaged and active and with other believers in Jesus Christ, others can see into our life. They see that we're walking with the Spirit and we're not gratifying the sins of the flesh. In fact, it tells us in Galatians 5, this specific instruction to us, this is what it says. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the sins of the flesh. He goes on and says, for the, desire, I'm sorry, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you don't want to do. You see, when you're a part of a local church and when you and I are interacting with each other and we're living in each other's lives, then we can see the evidence of the Spirit. We can also see the evidence of the flesh. And we can lovingly sit down and have a cup of coffee and talk to someone about this, talk to you and about this. And we can love on you. We can pray. We can do all of these things. There is this assurance of our salvation, this evidence. Someone can look at me and say, I see Jesus Christ working in you. And that gives me incredible assurance of my salvation. Man, God, I, sometimes I just, I, I walk around, I'm beaten up. I feel like I'm just not doing a good job. I'm not doing, and then someone comes alongside me and says, I see Jesus in you. I see God working in your life. I see all of that. And it just encourages me. It bolsters my faith. It helps me to keep moving forward in every way. That I think when we come together and we understand what church membership is, when we understand what it means to be a part of a church, well, it protects you from individualism. We're by nature wired to my, me, myself, and I mentality, right? Just think about our culture. It's all about you. It's all about how you feel. It's all about how you feel. Whatever you think, your world revolves around you, but uh, not in the case in the local church because when we give our lives to Jesus Christ, we die and everything that Jesus Christ did on the cross and from the grave, now he, his, his life is now applied to me. And my life now does not belong to me. It belongs to Jesus Christ. And we are the body of Christ. And so it protects me from individualism. It protects me from going off on my own. It protects me from just living my life isolated in this silo Christianity. No, we were meant to live in the context of community. And God does this work. You see, when you and I have this kind of biblical perspective on the church, well, it, it affects everything. It affects many things specific to what we understand. <clears throat> Is this going to change your commitment to the church? It just will. It changes how you think about your own life. It changes how you select a church. It changes how you join a church. It also changes how you leave a church. Because you understand, this is the bride of Christ. This, this is God's people. These are God's people. And so joining and leaving is a spiritual issue when it comes to a church. It's not determined by whether the, you know, the music was good or not. It's not determined by, it begins to not be determined by, like, whether that kids program I really liked or disliked. It, 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 it's not determined by whether my friends go over here or not. It's determined by what is God saying to me. How is he leading us as a family? <clears throat> How is he leading us as a couple? How is he leading me as an individual? Where does he want me to plant <clears throat> my life and become a part of that local church family? All the superficial stuff goes out the window. It matters what God says. 
And when I begin to really sit and think about what God says, I plant my life and I join my life to a church that's preaching the gospel, that is Christ-centered in their worship services. It's a place where I want my spouse, I want my children to grow up and see the Lord Jesus Christ in those people. I want them to be around that. I want them to see that in them. And these kinds of factors, these kinds of things are the things that matter and factor in to when and how I join a local church. Oh, listen, we're not hardwired to live our lives on our own. We're meant and we've been designed to live in the context of a community. His walk or her walk, we're not meant meant to to live in individualism. We're meant to say our walk as a church. That's how we're to live our lives. And so, think about the progression. What God wants upon your life is this, the good news of Jesus Christ, when you understand that God is perfect and holy and there is no sin in him, and sin can't be in the presence of a holy God, and then you understand what the Bible says about you and I as men and women, that we're broken, <clears throat> we are sinners, and therefore it doesn't matter what we do and how we live our lives, we can't live in the presence of a holy God. And when you understand that dilemma, and then you understand that not only was there a dilemma and there was a problem, but there is the solution that God made for us, and that is Jesus Christ himself came to die the death that you and I deserve on the cross and from the grave. And when you and I understand that we're called first and foremost to respond to that, embrace that, give our hearts to that, and we get saved, <clears throat> then we're called to, then we're meant to be baptized because that's the first act of obedience in your life as a follower of Jesus. I'm saved and then I'm baptized and then I plant my life and I join a local church. And then I commit myself to grow in the faith and grow up in the faith. And then I serve that body and I begin to give my life away. And then I learn to live on mission. And this is how I become a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple who is making disciples. A disciple who is making disciples. And so what God wants out of you and I is that simple instruction. Those of you in the room, some of you may not be followers of Jesus yet. That may be where you are. God says, come. Some of you in the room may not have been baptized yet, or you got baptism out of the wrong order. (laughs) Because you see, when we give our lives to Jesus Christ, then we're baptized. I've baptized many over the years who got saved later in life, but got dunked at five. They need to get baptism right, in the right order. Maybe there's some of you that are not part of a local church yet, we want to invite you to come to be a part of this church. This is where God is drawing you to. Maybe it's becoming part of a small group, one of our Bible studies on a Sunday morning. What is God saying to you? How does he want you to live your life? What is God saying to you this morning? God says, follow him. Have the courage to follow him and say yes to him. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. And that is the invitation to us today, and that is a time that God calls us to, and that is a time of response, what he wants out of your life. He wants those of you who've not given your life to Jesus to give your life to him today. He wants those of you who have not joined your your life to a local church to get that right today. Those of you who need to be baptized to get that decision right and follow through with believer's baptism. We're going to baptize soon. And when we do, maybe God is leading you to those waters. And so I want you to just bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to stand and sing a song together and worship.
Let's have the courage to respond. These stairs are always open for you to come and pray. I'm available here. There are others here that are willing to pray for you over any matter, a burden in your heart, something you need to deal with. We'll be here and available to you. Father, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for how you instruct us. Jesus, this is your church. It's not ours. Never has been. Our preferences aren't as important as to what you want. God, we want what you want. So God, in our individual lives, we come to collectively together. And individually, Lord, we wanna make decisions that matter to us, but are for the collective whole. Oh Lord, we wanna be in your will. Guide us and direct us this morning. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us. Let's sing and worship together.
can be seated. Just a couple quick announcements before we close. Um, one, I just wanted to uh, mention to you that, of course, we give our tithes and our offerings every Sunday. We have an opportunity for you to give today, of course, in the boxes that are around the doorways. You can give in person. You can give online. You can drop it off at the church office. Um, but there are many ways you can give here, and so we want to encourage you to give. Let's give faithfully our tithes, and let's give over and above our tithes to offerings that God puts upon us and, and, uh, and puts before us in many ways, okay? So I want to mention that, and we'll pray over that offering in just a moment. Don't forget we have our members meeting tonight at six o'clock in the family center right across the street over here and we were going to keep those doors shut because it's going to be hot outside and so we want to keep that air conditioning in that family center but we're going to meet over there at six o'clock. We've got an event at 5 30. You can show up too um, and buy our Central Classics ministry and there's going to be an ice cream social over there. Uh, Coke floats or something, I think, right? Something like that over there. So come a little bit early, 5.30. We'll have a nice little social right before we get together and have our kind of our business part um, there um, in the Family Center at 6 o'clock, all right? So that is this afternoon. Uh, don't forget that we've got um, another equipping opportunity coming up. Uh, on uh, Saturday at Southside up in Lufkin. It's called the Impact Conference. Great conference by our local association. There are lots of good speakers and breakout sessions. So if you're serving in a ministry, we want to encourage you to be a part of that. Um, the Equip Conference was a few weeks ago. Great, great conference there. And this is another one that, that's right off the road. So let's get equipped as we're you know, starting to serve in ministries this coming year. So I wanted to mention that. What a great kickoff to our midweek this past Wednesday night. Um, all of our ministries grew numerically, so praise God for that. Um, we had, uh, yeah, it was, it was amazing, so praise God for that. Um, and so thank you, those of you who served this past week. Um, let's, let's do it again this Wednesday night, but if you have not plugged into an opportunity to be discipled, this is what Wednesday nights have become, Wednesday and Thursday mornings, um, but Wednesday night is our main night from 6 to 7. We've got ministries going on across our campus from classes, our age group ministries are, take, are going on, but we believe in intentional discipleship here. So we come and we worship together on Sunday morning, we go to our classes, we get community, we find ways that we can serve together, we learn the Bible together on Sunday mornings, and then we also get equipped on Wednesday nights, and we grow as followers of Jesus. So across all of our age groups, we had a great kickoff, probably more than we've ever had since I've been here in the two years I've been here um, on a Wednesday night. So praise God for that. But God is at work and let's keep it up. And if you have not found a class or somewhere to go, come see me and we'll make sure you get, uh, get in the right place. Okay. Um, and with that being said, let's stand and let's have a word of prayer. Let's pray for our offering and uh, our tithes together as we give and uh, then we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you this morning for the time we've had to worship you. Sing, pray, give, hear your word, respond to it. God, thank you for what you're doing to build our church and continuing to do that. We pray for your Holy Spirit to move in our classes as they meet at 11, and our classes have already met at 8.15. We just continue to pray that your hand would be upon our church this morning, this afternoon, this evening. God, what we pray for this morning is that you would find us very willing and generous um, to give today. God, help us to give sacrificially our tithes and to give, Lord, over and above our tithes to offerings. Continue, Lord, to use these resources to do the work you want to do through Central here locally and globally, God. We thank you this morning. Lord, would you send us out this morning to live on mission into our mission field, point us to people who need Jesus Christ and give us the courage to speak that truth into their lives, Lord. 
And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. It's not dead.